Welcome back to another episode of Open Dialogue, the podcast for collaborative SEOs and digital marketers. In this episode, I spoke with Tanu Javiri, who is the senior global SEO strategist at IBM. Over the course of our conversation, we spoke about Tanu's experiences of working in an SEO role for a large enterprise organization, as well as how to communicate SEO metrics to senior stakeholders. Let's not waste any time. Let's jump right into this. Here's another episode of Open Dialogue with Tanu Javiri. Hello and welcome Tanu to the podcast. Thank you ever so much for joining us. How are you? Nice to meet you, Sam. I'm doing good. How are you today? I'm I'm going to be I'm going to level with you. I'm drugged to the hills with um lots of American drugs which which sounds really um sounds really crazy but it, it's not I've yeah I've been traveling around quite a bit recently I went to PubCon the other week and um I've been to a few different conferences and ever since I've I've stopped and just kind of slowed down and got back into my normal routine um my immune system has just been shot and yeah I've had to I've had to um have a load of of different painkillers, so yeah. But we're powering through. Actually, um, is your you're based in New York? Is that right? Yes, I am based yeah. in New York, and uh, a lot of my team did go to PubCon. So I hope you did have a chance to meet all the IBM men that were wonderfully presenting and moderating there. Yes, I did. Um, I managed to sit in on uh, a talk by Keith Good, and also met some of some of um, his team as well. Um, I, I'm trying to remember the names. One of them was called Andrew. Um, yes, he's a very Andrew. nice guy. Yeah. Yes, and we of course had uh, Patrick Stark present, and we had Jesse McDonald present yeah. as well. So yeah, and of course we had some history with Bill Hunt and things like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, we had and, a- and JP Sherman as well through yeah. through Red Hat. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah, it was really good. Um, so I bought some Mucinex when I was in. Uh, in Vegas and it was like maximum strength painkillers. I don't know if you've had this before, but yeah, you're, you're, it, it kind of it's sends you to, to place your mind to places that you didn't think it could. So yeah, I'm, I'm feeling good in a, in a weird way. I, I hope you feel better in, <laughs> in all the good ways. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited to, to get some of your experiences from working at IBM. So um, from what I understand, you're a senior global SEO strategist. Um, yeah. So it'd be great to to kind of delve into some of your experiences there, and also some of the other experiences in your in your different jobs. But um, to begin with, um, would you mind telling us a bit about how you got into SEO and um, your kind of journey to to where you are now at IBM? Oh, don't we all have a story as to how we got into SEO, don't oh, we? Oh, yeah. yeah. I've, I've heard a few good ones, but yeah, I'm excited yeah. to hear yours. <laughs> I'm going to age myself now, but um, when I graduated out of business school, my MBA school, Google had still not formed. It formed in the fall of my graduation year. Uh, so the work that I do today did not exist back then. Uh, my first job was as a business journalist. I used to write about marketing and advertising back in India. And as life would have it, circumstantially, I found myself living in three continents and three cities. I was living in India, Kenya, and the U.S. Wow. So um, trying to work while you are also 
um, not having necessarily a home base was was an interesting piece. I started writing uh, online, and, and, and those days online meant you wrote an article and sent it via email. So that was my online writing start. Um, in 2006, here, when I was in Florida in U.S., I got my first job as a content writer, and they actually asked me if I knew what SEO was and if I understood what a keyword meant. Uh, I said yes. I had no clue what they were talking about, but I did say yes. Uh, and here I am, 13 years later, working at IBM as an SEO strategist. Amazing. What was it like living between three different continents? Were you just basically living on a plane? That sounds, <laughs> no, that sounds horrible. <laughs> not not really in a plane, but I, I would say I lived uh, three years in Kenya and then I lived a couple of years uh, down in Florida before I moved up to New York. So uh, I think that has actually shaped my life because I wouldn't have this job or my outlook towards life by living in these various countries and cities and exploring things. I would probably be a cookie cutter MBA grad doing some kind of business somewhere. But mm -hmm. you know, I have a I have a fun life now doing SEO. <laughs> <laughs> um would you mind um telling us a bit about what you do at IBM and what your day to day looks like and maybe some of the, the different teams that you work with there? Yeah. It, you know when you talk about SEO for a large enterprise, it does have its own uh, very interesting take on search engine optimization. There, the number of stakeholders or teams that you interact with are also large, and the footprint or the, the impact of your work uh, is also large. Uh, and we could be talking to the business leaders, we could be talking to product owners, I could be talking to a web development team, um, we have a set of content writers, we have a separate group for digital marketers. And, you know, there are times when, depending upon the large organization, not just in IBM, but different organizations of the same scale, you would have teams which would be your webmasters, you would have your teams which would be your CMS tool owners and things like that. So um, the same applies to, to IBM as well. We have that many uh, interactions, that many departments that we would um, interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. As a senior global SEO strategist, does that mean, so are you working, at, you must be working at quite a high level, are you, are you talking to developers or is or are you managing a team that is working with developers and you're dealing with um kind of more more senior stakeholders is that is that what it looks like uh ibm is it's is a very strangely a uh, flat organization okay. uh, where you could be responsible for a lot of the work and yet not necessarily have a reporting structure below you because you know I won't have a web developer teams reporting into me because that's a separate organization to come to. Uh, I wouldn't have a, a set of content writers reporting into me because that's a separate organization by itself. Right. So uh, we could be managing a lot of larger projects which have a global impact, uh, but uh, we may still be singular in our own bubble, uh, very strangely. It's a very hybrid uh, organization. Okay, right. So 
with regards to, to SEOs, like how how many SEOs roughly do you have working at IBM or people that are, are kind of focused on that area? Is this something <laughs> that you can disclose or is it is this super secret? <laughs> we do have our legal aspects and maybe this is a good time where I should put a disclaimer that these are all my opinions and not how IBM necessarily communicates. But um, we are a large organization with multiple focals from SEO. As I said, you know, depending upon the organization that we are part of, whether we are from the central team or a geo teams or a business units, the number of SEO folks across IBMs could be larger. But, you know, my core team is certainly um, the folks that you met at PubCon. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Um, what I really liked um, from, because I sat in on Keith Good's talk on, um, so he was talking about uh, rethinking the buyer's journey. Um, mm-hmm. And he he was really talking about how you lot are very obsessed with the user journey. And it, it seemed like you had a very kind of mature approach to search and how it fits into somebody's decision to to buy one of your products or services. Um, and then I think I also saw something similar in one of your posts, maybe for Search Engine Watch. I was wondering yep. whether that's something that um, you focus on quite heavily at IBM. We do. Uh, and, and I think that's probably uh, a more SEO-oriented approach than necessarily an IBM approach. Okay. It's, it, it, it's a more logical approach towards uh, your web journey, um, thinking from what the user intent is and how would they uh, navigate a website, uh, that allows us to develop these strategies. Uh, some of the times, you know, we do have to take a step back and put ourselves in the user's shoes and say, as a user, if I had to identify or um, search for a product, how would I go about it? And if in our buying journey or in our learning journeys, the the frustrations that we face is what we try to avoid in our organizations. Um, if we start our user journey and I am not ready to buy a product, I'm just looking to understand what solutions you can offer, I probably am not interested to see very heavy branded conversations up front. So to understand what is your early learn pages and where would your discovery or the solutions or POVs come in. Um, And then going down to where we have now effectively taken the user through the journey where they can probably take a buy or a trial decision. Even the assets that get associated at each stage makes a huge difference. where do you use a white paper? Where do you use a video content? What is the level of conversion that you get when there is a, a, a video present on the page? Uh, we've had both situations where we have actually put uh, videos on a page and they have uh, you know, performed very heavily uh, well, both from a ranking perspective, the engagement rate goes up, the user gets you know, down the funnel, and then we have had pages which are later in the journey and whenever we have put the video on maybe a trial page, the 
trial conversions actually drop down because they get distracted by the video. So, right. you know, understanding the level of content and asset at each journey is very essential. Mm-hmm. And who would be driving that? So is that um, who's kind of like looking at the whole, whole whole process here? Is that the SEO? Is that SEOs within within IBM or is that um, is it kind of collaborative with user experience teams? What what does that look like? So I would say yes. Uh, I and my colleagues, you know, when we wear the the title of the strategist, we do actually work towards the strategies. We do collaborate with our UX, our um, CMS tool uh, um, colleagues as well to see how best this user journey can be rendered. You know, in the end. Uh, all of these pieces have to talk to each other. You have to have a page template that supports uh, the content, the assets you want to show. It needs to have the content writing aligned with with what your messaging is, what your keywords is. Um, and, and at the same time, you need to see from the business perspective at what stage, you know, in the end, we are a business enterprise. Mm-hmm. You have to see that, how are you taking the user from a learn aspect to finally to a revenue generation point of view? So how can that whole stage or journey be established? And then, of course, different stakeholders collaborate at, at each stage. But we do uh, develop the uh, outline or a mapping, if, if you may say so, t- towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what kind of tools would you use to look at um, a user's journey and um, so you mentioned like the the videos adding those to um, different pages and um, depending on where they are in in the funnel has, has a different effect on conversions like what kind of tools are you using to um, detect that and kind of make those decisions we have several tools that we use, you know, just like any other organization. And I personally have also, you know, not just within IBM, uh, but outside IBM as well. I have used uh, multiple of the SEO tools that exist today. But, you know, you would, I think any SEO professional today would be using tools like Screaming Frog. You may be using Lang. You may be using Dream. Crawl. You may be using something like a Bright Edge um, to do your rankings. Even further aspects like Contentkins and things like that have also uh, come into play. So each tool provides a different level of uh, analysis that aids to build this journey holistically. You know, some could be a monitoring tool, some could be providing a crawling benefit, and some could say that, okay, once I have crawled, I do want to see where uh, or how the title tags look like, or what are the internal links, or what are the anchor links, or what is uh, the paid equivalent to this organic traffic. So things like that, depending upon the tool and the analysis that we want to do um, the the input or the interactions between the tools could be different and of course um, like any other large organization like I have in my past work with Thermo Fisher with J&J I've worked with other companies too and similar to IBM uh, we all have an internal system that we develop from an analytics perspective using different APIs and of course there's Google Console that we have to 
uh, connect to it. So it's a mix of things. I know I didn't give you a very specific answer, but it's, it's, oh, it's I think almost everybody has a metrics uh, output of the tools that yeah. people use, and we are no different in, in that sense. Uh-huh. Um, what kind of what kind of scale are you making? So if you make changes to like, are you making changes to a, a large um, set of pages, or is it is it more kind of granular than than you you'd think? Oh, I have I've had both experiences. Um, you know, being in the profession for so long, I remember when I was in 2012 when I was working with Thermo Fisher. Uh, I worked on their entire website, and one of our changes actually impacted all their URLs, like the entire site. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were they were heavily penalized for duplicate content, and they had like. 55 million URLs and there was no way that the company had that many URLs and you know we had to go back and you know do some uh, technical updates um, and we got it down to uh, 2.7 million URLs which was accurate for, for that organization but you know you have things like which are that large footprint similar aspects do happen even in my current uh, role in IBM but at the same time we have strategies that are scalable so there are strategies that we develop at a product level, which can then be merged into larger categories, into business units, into overlapping business units, and then, of course, having a global impact across all the countries that products may be available in. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really interesting. So um, are you focused on any particular business units more than others or... Um, Yes, I actually am focused with IBM Cloud business unit, which Mm -hmm. encompasses cloud. uh, Within cloud, we do have IBM Cloud platform and cloud integration. Uh, I also support the IBM analytics of the data and AI uh, perspective, and that Mm -hmm. also is inclusive of IBM Watson. Um, Are there any particular sorts of ways that you can illustrate like the the journeys that you were talking about and what that might look like at IBM? Um, I would say it's not just IBM, but any organization yeah. for that matter would, would have a user. Um, and, and I think this is where a difference between a B2C and a B2B does make into a slight difference you know Mm -hmm. if you were a retail organization or a travel organization there is the user journey is very uh direct to the e-commerce part where you know somebody wants to go and buy shoes they they go onto the website that they prefer and it has to be more driven by the quickness or the promptness of getting to the user to the the desired shoe and the making the sale more uh, easy for them to have. Uh, when we are talking about large websites, which are more B2B driven or product driven, um, they tend to have a cycle which is called learn or discover. Mm-hmm. A lot of clients today or users would want to begin the journey with what is automation or what is artificial intelligence or what is data management. So before they even get down to the solution, because these topics are so large, within this topic, there would be elements of 
where does it align? Do I need a platform? Do I need a feature? Do I need a governance? So based on that, you would have a next layer of introduction or discovery pages. Within that, you would then get into what are the kind of products that are available to attend to this particular solution or solutioning that the client may be looking for. And each product has its own feature, whether in today's world, is it on-prem, is it on cloud? Can it be applied to hybrid cloud? Can can multi-cloud talk to each other? So having that universe, the number of pages or journeys could could differ. And and you know, if I'm starting from a top level uh, keyword um, or or thought process, by the time it actually trickles down to a product, you probably have created uh, a, a metrics uh, of uh, pages and link building in there. Mm-hmm. Um, at each of these stages, is is search playing a big part, or is it is it more towards the beginning that that people are, are discovering um, things through search, and then it kind of tails off, or is that not the case? I would say we've had both. We've had both where where we have come at tail end. And at the same time, I would say that, um, you know, we, we've had right from the inception, we have been part of it, naming of the of the product to the go to market strategy, the pages, the trial, the campaign uh, search is uh, is an integral part. Okay, um, so I'd like to switch now and just um, talk about uh, one of your posts for Search Engine Watch, which was around decoding SEO for for business leaders. I found this a really fascinating post um, because it's something that we've been thinking a bit about uh, at Deepcrawl and um, how SEOs can communicate better with uh, senior management and, and people who don't necessarily understand what SEO is about. So I was wondering if you had any sort of tips for how SEOs can um, communicate with senior management better. Yeah, this actually came from a very personal experience of mine. And this I'm very fortunate it happened very early in my career. I think it was year of 2008 and I was making a sales pitch with my then VP and things like that. And, you know, I was, I think, half an hour into my presentation. Uh, I have some uh, paid search experience as well uh, in my past history. So here I was dropping SEO, SEM, URLs, PPC. At one point in time, this the CEO of the company that I was actually presenting it to, and, you know, all throughout this presentation, I'm thinking I'm nailing it. And my VP is giving me thumbs up saying, like, you know, you're doing a good job. Mm-hmm. And we are thinking it's going good. Uh, till he paused me and he said, Tanu, how do you spell your name? And I was like, what? <laughs> Why does he need to know how I spell my name? And he says, no, how do you spell your name? And I went along and I said, T-A-N-U. And, and then he said, oh, I just thought I'll ask because you seem to speak only in spellings. <laughs> and like for half an hour, the thing that I thought that I was doing such a fantastic job of and my VP giving me thumbs up meant yeah. nothing to this person. He had been so polite to me for 30 minutes to let me do a monologue of nonsense for him. Uh, it, it just set me so true that I had to say that I had to learn to speak the language of my audience. 
Mm-hmm. We yeah, there, do get. There's no shortage of acronyms in SEO. That, that's for sure. We do get caught up in our jargons, and I, I would say that sometimes in our community also, when we have folks who are not using very heavy technical language and are more supportive of digital marketing uh, language. We do, uh, you know, sometimes say, oh, that's probably an imposter or they they probably don't know SEO so well because, you know, they're not using the jargons. So mm-hmm. we do uh, tend to uh, have very heavy language, uh, which is probably Greek and Latin for, for the average business <laughs> stakeholders. Uh, we need to be able to connect with them and simply tell them, what those steps would be and in the end look at it from his perspective he's not interested if we are ranking one or two he wants to know how much revenue would this project generate and if this how much of a workforce you need do you need a developer do you need a five developers do you need something that you would do independently or you need a team to do this so from a business perspective, he needs to know what is the investment whether it be from money or from human resources or what is this going to results be after the end of it? Like, you know, I would have less pages, more users, uh, more revenue in the in the results. So I, language is very, very critical in how we project ourselves to all the stakeholders that we're talking. The level of technical information should be catered to the audience. I mean, if you're talking to a web developer, then get into the code. Speak mm-hmm. to that, but maybe not to your CMO. Yeah. What I really liked from from the post was um, the way that you were talking about leading with the overall goals of what you're trying to achieve than the means to get there, which is something that we we obviously focus on within SEO. But um, for example, you were, you were saying rather than talking about the implementation of hreflang, um, you're talking more about um, what it will allow the business to do and how um, you'll be able to to communicate to search engines about different pages in different languages the same pages in different languages um and that kind of thing i I found that that fascinating i think that's something that we could do a lot better yeah i mean if if we go to any of our product owners or our geo stakeholders today and say we want to update our hreflang and you will probably get blank stares Whereas if you tell them that we want to make sure that all the right pages show up in the right geography, that's completely different. You've now established what you want to do. So I think that level of translation needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Would, you see, would you say that that kind of realization and understanding is, is something that's allowed you to take on a more senior position in an enterprise company? Um, yeah, I, I think that has been my only asset that I would say. I, I probably uh, would not put my technical skills or my SEO skills, for that matter, that significantly high. But I do think it is the level of communication of how the projects need to actually get implemented and what the results would be is the reason of my success. Uh, because the teams then are more agreeable to implement because they actually understood what needs to be done. As a matter of fact, one of the projects that I've been very successful in, um, in within IBM as well, 
has been only successful purely because I was able to tell the digital strategist and the product owners what the ask was, like what did they benefit by doing this? SEO per se, none of us can actually stand by ourselves. If there is no concept of SEO or SEO this page, uh, we work with different team members and when they take an action is when SEO benefits. So I need the you know, the content writers to work align. I need the web developing team to work align. I need to make sure that the marketing team is not putting their marketing plus on the pages. So when all these teams actually integrate together, that's when we shine. So when you allow others to perform their work much better, I think we certainly excel in what we do. Mm-hmm. That's some very wise words there. Um I also liked from the post, um, you're talking about a show and tell as well with um, more more senior management as well, um, kind of sitting down with them and saying and showing how uh, your competition is beating you or how you're stacking up against your competition. Um, is that something that, that you've, you've done um, successfully? Yes, um, I, I'm sure in almost all my SEO community has at least once heard this. Can you call Google and get our rankings up? If oh, <laughs> I may hear that sentence, I'm like, God, please, no. Um, but at the same time, that also shows us that a lot of time, these stakeholders, in spite of the fact that the digital industry has had such a growth, such industry within that industry has had a tremendous growth and the footprint and the impact is understood. The technical nuances of how things work are still uh, ambiguous to few. Um, In that scenario, when you do the show and tell, when you show how their searches are actually showing up, um, it is an impactful concept. Try to explain somebody that there is a rank zero on the search. They'll give you (laughs) blank stares. They'll be like, what are you talking, lady? And then I show them that, yes, organically, you're number one, your URL is here. But guess what? There is a news story. There is a a PPC ad. And then there is the uh, focus, uh, you know, product feature there. And by the time you actually reach to an organic search listing, you have to actually scroll down under the fold. I've had users um, and you know business stakeholders who have started from the top and they've counted the page search and they're like, one, two, three, four, five. Look, we rank five. You are saying we are ranking number one. I'm like, yeah, you're still ranking one. Those are all paid search ads. Mm-hmm. So you know when you do show and tell, that allows your user to actually see what is the difference of of the SERPs and how they actually change from screen to screen. I've had chances where I've used multiple screens because, you know, we do know SERP results for each person is different. You know, you may have the video carousel, the other person wouldn't. My um, SERPs just recently got updated where I can no longer see the URLs and it is annoying me like crazy. I think it's such a bad user experience, but I can't see the URLs anymore. So is having a url naming convention any more important mm-hmm. or having the videos important because you had the video carousel and then 
I go to a colleague of mine whose carousel or whose search results just show top stories, doesn't show video, doesn't show images, doesn't show uh, feature snippets. So explaining those concepts of different types of search result pages explains uh, that uh, role of content or the strategies much better. Yeah, uh, I suppose with just how quickly the the SERPs are changing and all of the all of the the different features that are being brought in and experimented with that that's ever more important um so i'd like to switch now and maybe talk about um some of your stories maybe not necessarily from ibm but um it could be from uh previous uh, workplaces, but I'd like to talk about some disaster stories or, or something when uh, a time when something hasn't gone so well uh, between SEO and maybe in another department. Have you got any stories like that? I already told you my sales pitch, which was pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, from a development side, um, this I can, I think, uh, if I'm I think I'm permitted to say this. I was working with J and J at that point of time as a consultant, and I had a team um, that was working both in America, I think, in Canada and in India. So we were supposed to make, and we were working on multiple products uh, for uh, search engine optimization for them. And you know, we made a template, and we created a structure, and we shared. Except that we forgot that J and J can be a retail company, very OTC, uh, very cosmetic, uh, very device-driven, and very RX-regulated medicine company. So now you can have one concept of templates of things that you can say or do that could put in. And once we did deliver our project back to the client, uh, the legal department on in, in their company just threw a fit. They were like, are you guys <laughs> crazy? Do you guys want us to be sued? So yes, a uh, lot of uh, fireworks and fun came after that. And, and we were like, oh, shoot, we forgot the legal part of it. And <laughs> so yes, we did redo the project and we did do it well. And we did get accolades uh, after that. But, you know, this is how things change that a same company could be and beauty company selling clean and clear for your face and could be selling a device which needs a federal legal approval of what they put on their website. So um, go figure, you, you, have, you learn. <laughs> <laughs> Was there any way that you could have prevented that? Is it just a case of um, thinking thinking more broadly about um, what other departments might need to be involved in in that case? I think we were being SEO people. We yeah. want business. This is where, again, I, I come back to that logic of saying, yes, there is a best practice as for SEO, what should happen. But the business that we are in, we, ne we should never forget what is the website providing? Mm -hmm. What kind of line of business we are? What are the legal regulations, what are the company regulations, what are the fair trade practices, that is a framework that we operate in. And sometimes our SEO best practices cannot be implemented the way we want. So what is that middle ground 
that can, you know, stabilize a good practice, but still fit in the legal framework that it needs to. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, um, on the flip side, do you have any success stories that you'd like to share with us when you've man you and your team have managed to work well with with um, people outside of SEO? Yeah, um, the same Thomas Fisher example where we went from fifty five million URLs to to two point seven million URLs. That's a success story. It did take long, and and actually they went through a complete a CMS and a website update as well. So it was very interesting and it actually took nine months. And we used to call, uh, we used to all joke about the labor of love that we went through uh, in that SEO optimization project. Um, back in those days, you know, parameters was something that you could set in, in Google console and, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. So we actually reviewed the website and there were 72 parameters updating URLs at any point of time. Any of them could be triggered depending upon the user action. And all of them could generate a new URL, not to mention that they could have an HTTP, HTTPS, www, non-www. So in the net net, I think one URL would probably end up becoming something like 88 or 108 URLs, oh, wow. Wow. Uh, which was very interesting. And to edit that piece, the code or the way the server delivered the content had it to be updated. Uh, and I had to work with the web development team, which went through each of those 72 parameters and say, which one needs to be triggered first and which one needs to second and which is, you know, followed in that. And when does the page render changes, when it doesn't change. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a very painstaking activity, but this is where the teams actually put their heads together and we fixed it, um, uh, both at the server level and, and then, of course, uh, at the Google level where we did become a number one site uh, globally for that. Then came the CMS uh, change. And again, because we had already gone through this exercise where we didn't want things to get duplicated, uh, with everybody's fresh memory of SEO um, practices, what we did do was as the tool was being implemented, the CMS tool, we actually put in best practices safeguards into the CMS. It was it required an additional plugin, it required an additional build time, but we did put in so things like you can cross a certain character limits, you can put some random uh, numbers or alphabets or you know signs. Um, in your title tag or in your URL. So some of those best practices were actually put into the page construction. So if you did put things which were not allowed by best practice, you, you could publish your page. Mm -hmm. So that, again, I feel is, is a significant uh, part where collaboration has worked from web development to CMS tool and the SEO. I remember just writing the Jira stories for those um, integration or, or that migration took us about three to four months because we would go back and forth and the, the web development team or the engineering team would say, no, but this, this works for us. I don't care if it breaks your page. And then I would go back and, you know, look at solutions and we had to go through different sprints again and again. And that, that was a very painstaking way of making sure that best practices were set up at the get-go and not as an after effect. Mm -hmm. But I would say that was a huge success. Yeah, sounds it. So were the, 
with it being painstaking, was that more from your point of view or for the developers as well? Oh, oh, I, I don't know. I think the feeling is mutual because I remember every time I would walk towards the web development side or the engineering side and they would be like, oh man, she's here. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they have become good friends. It's, I'm, I'm telling a story from 2012, but they are still my you know colleagues that I have stayed in touch in spite of change of jobs and projects. But uh, oh, really? I would still wow. say that that uh, level of friendship and uh, teasing, like, they would be like, can you stop writing Jira stories and bothering us? You're increasing our workload. I've heard all of it. Um, yeah. But yes, it, it, it was certainly a pleasurable project. Okay. So with that particular example, do you have any advice for kind of keeping that relationship sweet in a way? Because um, that could very easily be um, like, I don't know, the engineering teams could be like quite pissed off with you, right? Oh, yeah. I do think that, again, you know, if, if you recall a couple of minutes ago, I said, talk to your audience, yeah. understand what their job is and knowing what they need to do. If we are going to come and just dictate or announce SEO best practices without understanding the complexities of the systems that they are operating in, and how we can partner with them to find a middle ground, uh, there's going to be no collaboration. We can't announce ourselves. Uh, yes, it's great. You should have an SEO best practice, but that's never the ground reality. The ground reality is your CMS tool is this. Your uh, template is blah. This is your um, API content generation or your uh, dam of images or your dam for your assets that people are going to tap into. So understanding how the content actually finally gets rendered and how these moving pieces actually talk to each other will mm -hmm. allow you to become a partner instead of just saying, I want it this way. Yeah, that, that sounds like really great advice. Um, I like to just kind of like round off the this chat by um talking about so i've read another of your posts so i've really gone in depth with my with my research here um i saw that you'd written a post on medium and that was about how you met an old friend and you you hadn't caught up with her for like quite some time and then you managed to help her um with a change of career and and get a job um, so I, I found that really interesting because you were then talking about how you went on to help um, a lot of other people as well, and particularly women um, in their careers. So, um, yeah, I wondered whether you want, wouldn't mind speaking about that and um, the importance of kind of giving back and supporting people. Um, yeah, oh, and I wish I, I had come to this myself. Oh, I think... Um, as um, you know, we are approaching, our, uh, and I'm going to gain age myself. I was approaching 40, and my best friend was also uh, turning 40, and we were both talking about our life and you know where life had taken us. Uh, we were reflecting on things, and you know she 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 was struggling with her career, and I, I mentioned that to my mom, and um, she kind of put a question to me, and she said, "So why are you not helping her?" And I was like, "What?" And she says, "Yeah." You claim that, you know, you're this head of, of, and this was in my previous role, not at IBM. I was a head of digital analytics. And I was like, 
Um, she was like, you are constantly saying I'm hiring so many people and you have people reporting in, in different parts of the world to you. Um, so why are you not helping her? And it kind of, you know, I, that's where I began and said, I have reached somewhere in my career. And what have I done? Or who have I supported in, in this journey? I have missed a chance. And I have felt the pain, like, you know, I was not promoted at times or my promotion or my credit was taken and given to another colleague. And I've always felt that, you know, as a woman, I may have faced gender bias. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I needed that helping hand. I know what it feels like when you don't have a helping hand. Why, if the boys can have a boys club, who's stopping us to make a girls club? Um, you know, it's, it's a very cheesy way of just saying things, but that got me started. And that's when I started to, um, you know, of course, she was um, certainly very close to me. And, you know, she was a deserving person. I didn't have to pull any strings to get her hired. She yeah. all I had to do was expose her to an alternative career. And then she made a name for herself. So it wasn't that uh, I had to. Um, you know, get her or use any of my personal uh, connections to, uh, you know, uh, get her a job. It was just about showing her the path and then she walked it and she's doing fantastically well in her career. Mm -hmm. The same sentiment went into with me for other women that I started working with after that, you know, mentoring them in terms of what kind of presentations they can make, how are they presenting themselves in a call or in a meeting, you know, so that they don't come across uh, as, you know, we kind of call women aggressive and men assertive. So right. explaining them that uh, gender biasness that they could be facing. But that's when I also learned that, you know, I can't talk out of my head just like that. So I actually went to Cornell to do a women's leadership course oh, really? and to see that, you know, how, how can you become a mentor? How, what is it that I myself would change within me as an individual, not just necessarily as a mentor, but even as a team player, how can I work both for my male colleagues as well as my female colleagues? And I, I'm, I'm, you know, uh, nowhere um, trying to say that uh, men are bad or anything like that. I think they are an essential part of our uh, team building. So, uh, you know, that was something that I had to learn myself. Um, over the years, I got exposed uh, circumstantially to domestic abuse uh, and there were women who reached out to seek help from me who were suffering from that and again I started to help out and then I realized that I need to know what I'm talking about uh, before I start advising mm -hmm. people so that's when I started to work with Awaken organization here in uh, New York and I actually learned uh, how to uh, mentor, cater and service uh, uh, women and children that were facing uh, abuse and I started to volunteer my time uh, at that organization. Mm -hmm. That's such a, a valuable thing to do. Um, is is there anything that you'd recommend for, for people like, I, I, I'd like to, to help more. Are there any, are there any tips or advice you'd give to people um, who want to, to help? Is it, is it just a case of like, throwing yourself in into something and um and trying to to help yeah. people and men, mentor those around you or are there any um particular i don't know projects or initiatives that um that help along that facilitate that 
Um, I would say everybody has their own different groups. So I would say experiment. Um, certainly go help out, uh, go to different meetings. You would find your tribe. You would see when something gives you a calling and says, you know, this is my path. For me, the women empowerment came out of the blue. And that, you know, I, before I started working with Awake, I did uh, meet and interact with multiple uh, women organizations that were working with uh, abused women and children. But finally, I found my tribe with, with Awake and, and I joined them. Um, similarly, you know, go back to your own core and say, what is it that you can do? You know, one of my questions all along was I wanted to volunteer. It's just that I didn't know what I could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even when I went to Awake, I said, you know, I would love to help. But what can I do? I'm not a counselor. I can legally not speak to these women and give them guidance. Uh, I'm not a lawyer where I can support them in their law cases. Um, so what is it that I can do? And, you know, I struggled a little bit with that. But then I realized I know digital marketing and I actually made their website and their Facebook and, you know, things like that. So yes. knowing your skill set and knowing the need that the organization may be having, uh, we can always uh, volunteer in different capacities. And I say, do it for yourself. Do it for completely selfish reasons. It makes you feel good about yourself. Mm-hmm. It has, you know, I I always say this I'm doing for myself because I don't have to do it, but I have a control over why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm definitely going to go away and, and look at how I can... Uh, do more for people it's so easy to get wrapped up in your own sort of um endeavors that yeah it's it's easy to overlook um the the kind of greater good that you can be doing for the world um so before we wrap this up i'd like to just offer you the chance to have um so we call this section shameless plugs and you can promote um two different things so um, the first might be something um, which you're working on or something that, that you'd like to give visibility to. Um, the other is something that maybe helps your um, you in your working life and like makes you more productive, something that you can live without. So, yeah, I just wanted to offer you the chance to, um, to, to plug whatever you want. Oh. Um, for a shameless plug, I have to say my team at IBM. Uh, I work with such fantastic team members. Keith Good, Jesse McDonald. I know Patrick has now moved to HRF, sniff, yeah. sniff. Uh, JP Sherman, you know, these are the men that I work with. It is amazing to work with such a mind power because they keep you real. They also help you. I would say... Um, you know, keeping me humble and keeping me growing is where I get these these power. Uh, whatever uh, you know, my journey in terms of writing experience and speaking, uh, mm. I would say keep keep good with my mentor. I, you know, he he showed me the path to to this uh, this uh, style of of uh, working and uh, functioning. So um, yeah, shameless plug to the men of IBM. <laughs> wow, yeah, I I'd I'd, uh, I'd second that. I having met most of them are at pubcon particularly um keith and jp like they're just the most some of the most humble people i've ever met and um so genuinely interested in everyone that they meet it's yeah and um, despite how 
kind of uh, from the outside how important they seem and knowledgeable they are. It's um, yeah, it kind of restores your faith in humanity a bit meeting people like yeah. that. Uh, I have to say that they joining IBM and working with such fantastic people has actually changed a lot of my perceptions. Some of my organizations that I worked earlier or clients that I dealt with, there was a lot of drama or politics that we deal with. But one of the things that I did learn here was to be true to myself and at the same time be humble. One of the best things that I learned from my colleagues was if you are good and if you're knowledgeable, you don't have to go screaming on the, you know, the mountaintop. Uh, just remain true to yourself. And I think I have amazing colleagues who, who help me uh, grow. They mentor me each day. Uh, they also make fun of me once in a while, but, you know, I make fun of them. <laughs> That's all <too>. part of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On, on that note, I think we're going to wrap things up. So thank you, Tanu, for, for providing such a, um, first of all, insightful and, um, yeah, such a yeah, such an insightful um, first half of the interview, and then then it's turned really kind of inspirational, and inspirational, and really philosophical. So, thank you so much for that. It's been really interesting talking to you. Thank you. Pleasure was mine. Cool. Thank you. Thank you, thank you very much. A massive thank you to Tanu for sharing so many of her great tips and experiences there. If you'd like to hear more from Tanu, you can find her on Twitter at Tanu Javiri. And if you want to hear more from me, I'm at Sam underscore Marsden on Twitter. Also, if you want to share our humble podcast with the world, then make sure that you add the hashtag open underscore dialogue. You'll also be able to find a written recap of this podcast over on the Deep Crawl blog by visiting deepcrawl.com forward slash podcast, where you can also sign up to our mailing list. I'd also like to give a big shout out to BMO Studios based in Hackney Central. They managed to make this podcast sound amazing, so I'd really recommend checking them out. Before you go, I would just like to let you know that this podcast has been made possible by my employer, Deepcrawl. If you're interested in improving the technical health and organic performance of the websites that you manage with an enterprise-level web crawler, then head on over to deepcrawl.com and have a look at how we can help. We've even got a two-week free trial waiting for you. So thank you again for listening to Open Dialogue, and I look forward to you joining us again soon. 